I started a message or a series of messages on rediscovering the church's culture. And when I began that series, I spoke about how is it that though every congregation has a uniqueness to their existence, they have a unique culture that's unique to them, yet all of our cultures at the local level must be must branch off the church culture that was established in the book of Acts. And so, um, one of the things that I said is that in many ways, the church today, specifically here in this nation, has, has gone so astray from the church culture of the book of Acts. And when I speak about the church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about a living organism known as the body of Jesus Christ. And so everyone that's a believer in Christ, you're part of that living organism. But that living organism manifests itself here on earth by microcosms of that concept or that body called the church, and that's found in local congregations. Back then, they didn't have buildings to meet in, and so they met in homes. And so that's how the church started. It started as small groups meeting in homes, and then throughout the times it branched out. I know many people want to argue that the, these buildings are the result of, of uh, uh, paganism and so forth and so on. I believe that God has allowed this place to be built for the purpose of us coming together and being able to experience His presence and being able to encourage and build up one another at a larger uh, number than we would if we were gathering in our homes. I wish I could fill all, fit all of you in my house and we would just have a church, a house church, but I can't fit all of you in my house. And, and so, so we meet here. This is where we meet. And then we break out. We branch out into small groups. Right now we do our cottage nights once a month, and we're encouraging people to have relationship to do life together outside of the uh, structure of what we do here as a, as a body. And so every congregation is really a microcosm of what the invisible body of Christ is at large. The body of Christ is vast, is numerous, uh, and it's in every corner of the planet. Wherever the gospel reaches, and there's someone that accepts the message and the power of the gospel, and it brings transformation to their lives, they become part of the body of Christ. They become part of the brethren. They become part of the fellowship of God. And that's what we're all about. It's all about becoming part of a large family. Um, in heaven, I don't think there's going to be um, groups. We're all going to be together. But for now, because we're not in heaven and we're limited, we meet in groups. And so this is the RLS group. Anybody proud of the RLS group? Amen. And there's another group up the corner, Iglesia Fea. That's another group. But we're all part of the same family, all part of the same family. We have unique styles. We have unique, uh, certain uniqueness that are applicable to us but we're all part of the same family. Now, in heaven, we don't have to worry about it. We're going to be 
all together serving one another. And we have no limitations. We'll be able to go from one place to another because in, in no time because time is non-existent in heaven. It's called eternity. Time was only made for man after the fall. And so this, this space that you live in from the moment you're born until the moment you, you die is time. But once we die, once we transition into eternity, time is no longer necessary. And so in heaven, we won't have limitations. We won't have time barriers or time constrictions. We won't have to finish our meetings, amen, because it's time to go have lunch or go have, no, we don't have to uh, go home to sleep because we have, no, in heaven, we're just going to be in the presence of God continually. Now, I don't know how it's going to be. I know it's going to be exciting. Um, if you read Revelation chapter 4, it seems like an exciting um, scene, and that's really what heaven is going to be like. So we started this, this, this is simply a, an introduction, but we started this series on rediscovering our church's culture, because we have a, a unique culture that's unique to us. And so one of the things that I, that I said was, for some reason, throughout the last few years, we've noticed that that culture has been fading. And we're becoming more like what many churches are in this country and what has become the norm in many churches, where people just go with a consumerist mind. They go to get their product. Or, when a di or with a, the mind of a drug addict, they go to get their fix. And so we want to break that because church is not about that. Us coming together is not for, for you to consume some product that we're trying to sell you or to, trying to give you. Us coming here is not for us to come here to get our fix, our religious fix, and then go and live life Monday through Saturday however we want. No, us coming here should be what I would call the icing on the cake. We are doing what God has called us to do throughout the week, and we come here on Sundays to celebrate what God has done through our lives in the different spheres where, we're, where we have influence. Amen? And so that's really what a Christian's life should be all about. So I spoke the first week about worship, the importance of returning to worship. And I shared a little bit of how worship, especially our, our, our corporate worship gatherings here, have been for many years. And, and, and I was challenging the people, we've got to return to that. Um, to, to, to doing worship and having gatherings where we allow the Spirit of God to move, where we give the Spirit of God freedom, where we come with no agenda, just, we just want to encounter God. And that's really what our worship gathering should be all about, coming here to celebrate what God has done through our lives during the week and at the same time coming here to encounter God, to get refilled so that we can go out and continue to do the work of the kingdom. Anybody need a ref refill this morning? Hey Amen. Just open your gas tank just, and say, Holy Spirit, just fill it up. Fill it up. I know I need a refill today, and, and, and I come here to get refilled. Hey Amen. So that I can go and continue to be effective. You don't want to be running out there in fumes. You want to have Holy Spirit in you, and you want to have the Word of God. And so we, 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 we come together to experience, to encounter God. Now, today I want to talk about 
our culture of service. We use and have used, at least those that have been with me for 20, going on 24 years, we have established a culture of servanthood. Um, and so we, we call everything that we do in the house of God, but not only here, but everything that we do in life is the result of us being servants of God. Now, there's a difference between a servant and a slave. A slave is owned, and he has no choice. He's owned, he's sold, he's traded. He has no say. A servant purchased, but he is given the choice. As a matter of fact, in Jewish culture, once a servant completed his contract or his time, he was given the opportunity to leave. But many of them were so embraced as servants into the family that they were serving that they chose to stay. Because a servant is not a slave. A servant is someone who becomes part of the family of the master whom they're serving. To the extent that there's almost no distinction between the children and the servant. Speaking in, in the Jewish tradition. Now in the kingdom, we're not only servants, but we're the children. So we're the children and we're the servants of God. And it's important for us to maintain a mindset of servanthood. And it is important for us to eliminate this word from our vocabulary, volunteerism. We don't do what we do here because we volunteer. You could volunteer your time to United Way. You could volunteer your time to any nonprofit organization. And you do it at your pleasure and at your leisure and at your convenience. When it comes to the kingdom of God, there is no volunteerism. We're servants. As a matter of fact, everything we do in life revolves around the, around the master and his kingdom. And so we've, we're trying to return back to the culture of eliminating the term volunteerism. Because that term is casual. It's kind of left to the interpretation of the individual. They can choose to volunteer. They can choose that. When you're serving, you know you have a responsibility. And not only do you consider a responsibility, but when you're a true servant of God, you consider it, consider it an honor to serve. See, so that's the difference between being a servant and a slave. Now, I know we're living in a culture that doesn't promote service. As a matter of fact, the church in Ephesians is compared, the relationship between the church and Christ is compared to the relationship between a husband and a wife, Right? And I know we love, especially us men, we love to use that verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as the church is submitted to Christ, for the husband is the head of the, of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. We usually skip chapter, uh, verse 20, which says submit to one another. And we also forget the fact that at the end of that chapter, Paul is saying, and this is not really about marriage. In other words, the emphasis here is not the, the marriage between a man, but the emphasis here is to reflect, to demonstrate the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. And so it's a relationship of submission, but it's also a relationship of unconditional love to the point of death. Amen? So I would like to use this whole concept of marriage 
to lead us to the topic of today, which is service or servanthood. So in the last 50 years, there's been a huge rise in the number of couples that have chosen to live together and not be committed to marriage. As a matter of fact, if you read statistics in the 1960s, one out of every 10 couple would live outside of marriage. That means that the other nine were committed to marriage. Now the trend has changed. Now the last statistics that were taken a few years ago discovered that six out of 10 couples are not committed to marriage. So more than half of the couples that are married today, or of the couples that are living today, have not made a commitment to uh, marriage. And simply, that is a reflection of the state, the spiritual and the moral state of this nation. Biblical values are no longer being practiced. For example, the value of discipline, the value of Devotion, the value of dedication, the value of commitment, the value of loyalty, the value of integrity. All of these values are no longer being considered with seriousness. And as a matter of fact, they are rapidly on the decline in the nation that we're living in today. Generally speaking, Americans are not very good at keeping commitments and following through with commitments. Many Americans, and that includes me, I'm American. Anybody proud to be an American? You should be proud right now. But we also be, should be ashamed. Because the truth of the matter is that this is what's happening in our nation. And, you know, we can't just blame the world. It's happening in the church also. Many Americans are unreliable, undisciplined, uncommitted, undedicated, and just plain shady. It's no longer true that a man's word is his bond. As a matter of fact, people have, many people have no qualms in breaking a promise or breaking their word. You see that in marriage. The vows that are made in marriage, that's a covenant. And many people have no qualms in breaking them. If the covenant or the commitment is not beneficial to their own self-interest. And so, this is how we're living today in this nation, but we are more than just Americans. We're the body of Christ. And though we have the citizenship here on earth of this nation or whatever nation you're from, but we have a citizenship that's far greater than the citizenship we have here on earth, and that is that we are citizens of heaven. And everyone that comprises part of the church the Bible says we're like a city set on a hill, not to be hidden. And so the society's on the decline, and we see that decline happening in many of our churches. The truth of the matter is that those of us who truly love God and to tr who truly are committed to the, the, the promise we made when we made a choice to turn our lives over to Jesus and we made him the Lord and the Savior of our lives, Amen. Those of us that really love him, we are living by a different standard than the standard of the world. Amen. We're different people. 
Our attitude should be different. Our character should be different because we are part of the body of Jesus Christ. We are the representatives of God here on earth. A city on a hill is placed there so that it could be seen, but it's also placed there so that it could shine light upon the darkness. And God is calling us as a church to shine light upon the darkness that has covered the earth, particularly in this end time, just like the church has done throughout all of its history. Now, why is it that two people find it easier to live together than to marry? Simply because people want the benefits of marriage without the commitment and the responsibility of marriage. Now, I'm going someplace that has to do with service. Hang on with me. I'm trying to take you someplace. Trying to build a foundation. Because like I said, marriage is a reflection of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. So if we're going to rediscover our culture of service and of servanthood, we have to understand the importance of marriage. Amen? Now, people want the benefits, but they don't want the responsibilities. Today, couples, they want the benefits of sexual relationship and intimacy without having to make a permanent commitment. Why? Because if things don't work out or if things don't go according to their liking, and more than likely they will not go according to their liking, whether sooner or later it's going to happen. But if it doesn't go according to the liking, they just bail out. Without blinking an eye, they just bail out. And so there are millions, and this is where I want to go. There are so many people in this nation today that attend the church but are not married to the church. You see where I'm going now? Millions of people in this nation, this morning, yesterday morning, maybe this evening, whatever time the service is, they attend the church, but they're not married to the church, meaning they're not committed to the local church. They want to live with the church, but they don't want to marry the church. They want the benefits of coming to church, like the benefits of hearing a good preaching. I don't know if I qualify for that, but you, you get a, a decent preaching from here. Some of you consider it good. Some of you don't. I, I'm the messenger. Don't blame me. I'm the messenger. But they, they want the benefits of coming to a church and receiving a preaching, a word, they want the benefits of joining together with other believers in worship. They want the benefits of having a pastor that would counsel them when they are in crisis or would visit them when they are sick or would come to their aid when they're facing some conflict or difficulty. So they want those benefits, but they don't want to make the commitment. They don't want the responsibilities of membership, of becoming integrated into a local body. What are some of the responsibilities of being part of a local body? Well, serving in the local church, financially contributing to God's work being done by the local church, whether it's local mission or foreign missions, contributing 
to the work that the church, that the local church is accomplishing for the kingdom of God? What is another responsibility of membership? Another responsibility of membership is that you are expected to use your spiritual giftings. Your talents and your abilities are to be used in the local church for the edifying, for the building up, for the encouraging of one another. And one of the hot reasons why a lot of people don't want to join the church is because they have a problem with submission. And, say, and so they don't want to be submitted to the spiritual authority that God has established and given to the local congregation. Because they see the spiritual authority more as a threat, as a challenge, rather than a gift. The Bible says that God gave the church five gifts. What's the gift? Something that you, the church should treasure and should value. Something that the church should embrace. The Bible says that God gave the church five gifts. And one of those gifts is the gift of the pastors. And so I'm not here to try to, you know, but that's what the word of God says. I'm a gift to you guys. Thank you, brother. We got five people that are married to the church. Amen. They consider it a gift. Amen. But guess what? We're a gift to one another. Because though we're not all pastors, we're all ministers. And we all have a ministry to accomplish and to fulfill. That assists in the building up of this edifice that Jesus started building called the church. And so we all have something to contribute. But a lot of people don't want to be held accountable. They don't want to be held responsible. They don't want to be called to account. They don't want to be exhorted. They don't want to be corrected. They don't want to be confronted. Now, fortunately, in my stage of 24 years of ministry and 59 years of age, I'm over worrying about confrontation. I know that's part of my gifting, part of my call, to confront, to exhort, to teach, to correct, to encourage, to build up. It's all part of what God has called me to do. But many people don't want that. They'd rather be floating around and not being accountable to anyone. That's why I am very careful with parachurch ministries that are not somehow connected to a local body. We have a lot of parachurch ministries, meaning people that have ministries, but they're not committed to any local congregation. They're not accountable to any one of the five gifts that God has given the church. And so they go around, they're ministering to everybody, but who's ministering to them? Amen? So we got to be careful, folks, because in these end times, these things will increase. And if we're not solidly established and grounded, in the word of God and in the principles of God where we can easily be swayed. So, being committed to the local church requires a sacrifice. Being committed to the local church requires your time. Being committed to the local church requires for you to invest your energy. Requires for you to invest your money, 
requires for you to do sometimes things that you don't feel like doing. Requires for you to be at a place when you'd rather be someplace else. So being committed to a local church comes with all of those requirements and all those responsibilities. Yet, it is the will of God. God wants people to be committed to the local congregations. He wants us to walk the aisle and say, I do, to the congregation where he has established us. Now, those of you that are not members here, don't take it personal. But if you're here today, then the word is for you also. You need to make a commitment. Seriously make a commitment. If you've been in this place for how many, how many weeks, how many months, some of you even years, and you still haven't made a commitment, it's time for you to stop living with me and get married to, it, to me. Come on, let's stop living and shacking up, and let's get married. Amen? It's time for you to become an integ integral member of this local body. By now, you should have discovered whether this work is of God or not. If you, if you conclude that this work is not of God and you've been here for months or years, what in the world are you doing here? You should have ran out a long time ago. But if you sat here all this time and if you've been a part of and been a beneficiary of the things that are going on, then obviously you know that this is a work of God and that this is a body that loves God and this is a body that's focused all about the kingdom, about building the kingdom of God. And so it's time to make a commitment. I'm taking it easy today. I'm being very calm. Amen. So, bear with me. There's an illustration, a story of an old man who once called a church office in this town and was inquiring about becoming a member. He was inquiring about church membership. He told the pastor that he was looking for a church, and listen to this, a church that would not expect him to attend worship services, a church that would not expect him to study the Bible or to pray. He's looking for a church that would not expect him to visit the sick, to serve on any board or, commitment or committee, a church that would not require him to do any chores or serve in any capacity. And so the story goes on to say the pastor commended him for his desire to want to become a member of a church. But he told him the church that you're looking for is located on the other side of town. As the pastor begins to give him an address, an actual physical address of the church that's on the other side of town. The man diligently wrote down the address. And when he hung up, the man finally said, man, I finally found my home church. So he set out on this journey to find where this church was at. And what happens when he arrived? The man came face to face with the same logical results of his own defective expectations. The logical results of his own defective attitude. There in front of him stood an abandoned church building 
boarded up, and ready for demolition. So if you're looking for a church that does not challenge you to be a part of what's being done congregationally, if you're looking for a church that is not going to require for you to get involved in the work of the ministry, this is not the church. That church is somewhere in town ready to be torn down. Because if you want to be a part of the body of Christ, you become part of a local body, and you get engaged and you get involved in that local body, and you understand that it is your responsibility, but not only your responsibility, it is your duty to God, but not only your duty to God, it is an honorable thing that God would place you in a place and entrust you the responsibilities of serving in that house and using your talents, your abilities, your capacities, amen, to be able to bless, to encourage, to build up others for the kingdom of God. Amen? So, a member of a local church is one who understands, calm down, Jay. It's therap- I'm going through therapy right now. I'm calming myself. Amen. Member of a local church is one who understands the importance of having relationship with the local body. See, we don't want to be exclusive, and we don't want to reject people when they hear about the things that are being done in RLS. We want people to get involved. But at the same time, we got to draw the line. we got to be careful. Because there's people that they don't want to be committed to RLS, but they want the benefits of RLS. There's some folks that I know I'm only going to see them July 4th. In our picnic. Or, Or some activity that is fun to them. They will make sure they come to those activities, but they don't want to be part, they don't want to be committed to the work of God's kingdom being accomplished in this local church. And so, the Word of God requires for us to make a solemn commitment. Here at RLS, a member is someone who chose to stop living with the church and has chosen to become married to the church. Any members in this house? Amen. Are you happily married to the work that God is doing in this house? That don't sound too exciting. Amen. That sounds like the response many couples give when you ask them about their marriage. Amen. If you remember this house and you're happy to be married to God and to the work that God is doing in this house, and get all excited, man. And so this is what I want to talk about this morning, is about the importance of membership and how that connects to servanthood. And so again, every true child of God, when you become a child of God through the born-again experience, you become part of the invisible universal church, but not every child of God is committed to the local church. We live in a time where church hopping has become the norm. Hoppers go 
from one place to another, from season to season. I personally call them rabbits. And if they're too big to be a rabbit, then I call them kangaroos. Those are either spiritual rabbits or spiritual kangaroos. They're constantly hopping from place to place. That is not God's plan for your life or for my life when he saved us. He wanted us to be integrated, committed to the work that he's doing through the local congregation. Amen. Hoppers, they're looking for the next revival. Some of you are too young to remember the, the vineyard revivals up in Toronto. But I remember when the revival started in the Toronto church, man, people were running like crazy. Pastors with their entire congregation was shutting, shutting the church for, sometimes for a week, and they would just take their congregations out there. And some of the members would stay out there. They would leave their jobs because they, they, were, they were so taken by God's move. And that was a legitimate revival. Some people criticized it. They were not agreeing with some of the things that went on. But like in any revival, when God is moving, the devil also seeks a way to move. And so there's sometimes that either the devil seeps in or our humanity seeps in. And sometimes some, some things happen in certain revival movements that are not necessarily you know, easy in our spirits. But that doesn't mean that God is not moving. That means that God is moving, but in the midst of his move, he's moving among people that are imperfect. And so once our humanity gets involved, things happen. But we cannot deny the fact that God is moving. I remember during that time, churches and groups were leaving their congregations and going to experience the Toronto blessings. That's what they were called. And that's what many people look for today. There's others that are looking, looking for churches with the healing, the prayer room or the healing room. I didn't realize that there was healing rooms. We've almost become like um, cultic to a certain extent. I mean, the healing room to me is wherever room I'm in. As a matter of fact, right, right here this morning, this is a healing room. Because God is here. And so, listen, if churches do those kind of things and it works for them, then, but, but, but I'm very careful with those things. Because those things usually cater to people that don't want to make a solid commitment to the body of Christ. And so, some people hop and they look for a church with a great worship team or a great children's ministry. Or pastor who preaches with charisma, with a personality. They hop from place to place. But as soon as they face a conflict or a problem with someone in the church, because they're hoppers, they get up and they bail out. And they leave. And so the problem with a great number of Christians, amen, in regards to the church is that they have this consumer mindset. They come looking for a product to consume. I also call it, many Christians today have the leech syndrome. The leech latches on to a source where it could suck blood. Now, what is in the blood? The Bible says that 
in the blood is what? Life. And there's people that will find the next source of blood, the next church that's alive, and they will latch on it, and they're like leeches. They're just sucking up the life, just taking, 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 and giving nothing. And when the life dries up there, they'll go to another source of life, and they'll go and they suck the life out of that. And they'll continue to suck and suck and suck until the finally they explode. Because that's what happens to the leech. The leech can only suck so much blood before it ultimately explodes and it dies. And so, that's one of the problems we have or that the church is facing today. No, at no time should be we, we be making a decision as to what church we're going to be a part of based on what's in it for me. Who was it that used that famous phrase? Was it John F. Kennedy? Don't ask what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Well, you should come with that same mindset and become a part of a church, not asking what the church can do for you, but what can I do for the work of God's kingdom that's being accomplished in that congregation? Amen? People don't want to sacrifice. Now, they have no real commitment. Yet, I don't believe that's God's will. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, let's, or verse 10. Let's go there quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says that we are God's workmanship, that we were created in Christ for good what? Good works, or in some scriptures it says for good deeds, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the first thing I want to establish this morning is that you are a workmanship of God. You are special you are beautifully and wonderfully created, knitted in your mother's womb. But it was not for you to be birthed and then walk around your, your entire life like a peacock, showing how talented, how gifted, how beautiful you were created, how unique you are. No, you were created for a purpose. Calm down. For a purpose. You were created for a purpose. And that is... To do the good deeds in Christ, which is why God prepared you for beforehand. And so no one here this morning can actually say that they're a mistake, they're an accident. God made us, and only he can tell us what we were made for. And so our purpose in life should revolve around God. And there's only one way in this life where we will find lasting joy and satisfaction. That is when we devote ourselves to the service of God and to the service of God's people. We are meant not simply to receive from God, but we are meant 
to, re, to, to give back. We're commanded to serve God. That is an attitude of gratitude. Only when you have gratitude do you commit yourself to giving back and to serving God and others. Whenever God gives us an assignment to do, he never gives it to us without equipping us. Job chapter 10, verse 8. Job says, your hands for me. They shaped me. They made me. And so God uses what he created in us, amen, so that in return we could be a blessing to others. Now I want to take the word shape. I found this acronym for the word shape. Using the five letters. The S in the word shape stands for spiritual gifts. The H in the word shape stands for a heart of service. The A for the word shape stands for abilities. Remember the verse, God shaped you. He made you. So he created you with spiritual gifts, with a heart to serve, abilities. The P in the word shape stands for personality. He gave you your own unique personality. And the E in the word shape stands for your experiences. Every one of us, we have a unique personality. And every one of us has experiences that we have lived through our lives that can be beneficial with others. There's some incredible testimonies that are sitting right now in these pews. And even some of them that are not here this morning. People that have incredible testimony, life experiences that they went through. And granted, most of those things that we went through are not necessarily things that we're proud of. But we should be thankful and we should remember them because God delivered us from them. But that's not, he didn't deliver us just so that we can feel good and so that we can be delivered. He delivered us so that we can use those experiences to avoid others having to go through the things that you went through. And so how do, you, how, how do people know your experience if it's, if it's not through you developing relationship and sharing? See, testifying is not only asking to get a, a special part on Sunday and, and, and giving a testimony publicly. No, you're called to be a witness and to share your experiences in life with others. Amen. Even, even on, a, on an individual basis or on a relational basis, God expects for us to use our experiences. And he's given us those experiences, whether they're good or whether some of them are not so good and not so desirable. But he allowed us to have those experiences so that now we could use them as part of the body of Christ. He shaped us through those experiences so now we could use them to be a blessing, to be an encouragement, to be a mentor unto others. And so God made us unique, but our uniqueness was not for our benefit. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says, each of us should use whatever gifts he has received to serve others. 
Your talent are not, your, are not for your benefit, folks. Your giftings are not for your benefit. Your abilities are not for your benefit. God gave you those gifts, those talents, and those abilities, and those experiences, amen, so that you could benefit other people and use them to serve others. That is the purpose that God has for our lives. It is that we would serve God by serving one another, by serving others. That's why we're alive today. You were put here to serve God, and the way you serve God is serving other people. This is called ministry. Remember that I told you before, we're not all called to pastor, but we're all called to ministry. And if you are called to ministry, that means that you're a minister. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a minister. Amen. Oh, but I don't have credentials. You don't need credentials to be a minister. All you need is salvation, and all you need is an attitude of gratitude, a heart of servanthood in order for you to be a minister. We are minister. What's a minister? Someone that ministers. This word has been awfully uh, misunderstood. But when you look at that acronym of SHAPE, you realize that you have been called to be a minister. You are a minister. If you use your talents, if you use your abilities, if you use your background, if you use your experiences, if you use a personality, you are a minister to bless others, then you are ministering to someone. Every woman in this house is a minister. Every man, every child, every young person, amen, no matter whether you're black or white, whether you're fat or skinny, no matter whether you're old or young, every one of us in this house has been given the assignment and that has been given the call to be a minister and to use what God used to shape your life so that you could be a minister and a blessing unto others. Now the question is, are we willing Because God doesn't force you to do anything, but he works with your willingness. A farmer had a team of horses in which one horse consistently worked harder than all the others. The farmer said, they're all willing horses. The ones willing to pull and the rest are willing to watch. Now, which one of those horses are you? Because if all you're willing to do is sit back and watch and sit back and consume and sit back and receive and give nothing in return, then that's really not a good choice. That's not the willingness that God is seeking from us. He's seeking the willingness of that first horse that's willing to do the work. And if we all do the work, no one horse has to burn itself out if we all put our hands to the plow. And if we all work together, and if we all contribute and give our giftings, our abilities back to God and minister to one another, then no one will burn themselves out. You've heard of the 80-20 rule. Many times we've referred to, and pastors often refer to the 80-20 rule, where 20% of the church is doing 80% of the work. That's not the way that God intended. That's why commitment to the body of Christ is more than just membership. It means willingness. Amen to give what God has given you in return so that you could be a blessing and so that you could push the work of God's kingdom forward. Well, Pastor, I don't know what, what my ministry is. I don't know what, well, you know, I usually tell people, when people ask me, listen, start with housekeeping. Why do I tell them that? Because I want to, no, because that's how I started. 
I'm not here because I went to seminary and I got, and, 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 and I was part of the denomination that was, oh, this guy graduated. He, he could be a good pastor. Or she could be a good pastor because he graduated. They just, they, they excel in, no, no. I'm not a product of seminary. Now, I'm not against seminary, but I'm not a product of seminary. I'm a product of washing toilets. Pastor Margie has spoken about this many times in her message. We're a product of people that started working in the kingdom, amen, by rolling up our sleeves, getting our hands dirty. We used to go into a church where it would flood every winter. And the pastor was too old. He couldn't do it anymore. And so we, as kids, we would go downstairs. Not, there was no such thing as a pump back then. I'm not that old, but back then... I'm old enough to say there was no such thing as a pump that would pump the water out of the basement. No, you took the water out of the basement through buckets. You fill buckets, you climb the steps, you empty it out, you came back down, fill buckets, climb the steps, until the water was gone. And so that's what I'm a product of. So when I'm telling you this is where you need to start, if you don't know where to start, if you don't know what your ministry is, I'm telling you it's beneficial. You never know how God is going to use that, what you're doing now, that many consider as something undignified or something that's a lower level. But yet that is as high in God's, amen, uh, a reward uh, 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 category as, as what I'm doing right here. Because whatever work you do in the kingdom of God, there's no such thing as a level of work. God rewards our willingness, our obedience, our obedience, and our commitment. Whether it's housekeeping, whether it's hospitality, whether it's ushering, whatever it may be. God is looking for people that are willing, that are volunteer. Not people that are experts. Not people that are perfect. And sometimes we don't want to get involved because we feel we don't have what it takes. Guess what? Moses didn't have what it takes. Abraham didn't have what it takes. But one thing they had, and that was what, what God was expecting and what God was requiring, and that was faith and obedience. And so they moved by faith. So your shape determines your ministry. What is it that you have a passion for? That H, the heart. The heart. The servant's heart. What is it that you feel a passion for? That usually determines your ministry. But your attitude determines your maturity. Let me explain that. You might have giftings. You recording this? You might have giftings, spiritual giftings. You might have a passion, heart. What was the other one? Shape. You might have the personality. You might have many experiences. Okay? But if your attitude ain't right, then you become like the Pharisees who use their giftings to put on a show. So just because you're shaped <laughs> for the work of the kingdom you got to make sure that your attitude is aligned with what God has shaped you to do. you got to have the right attitude. I get, I get a little, you know, sometimes people don't come and tell me person to person, but I get the little feedbacks. 
people that they'll tell you, oh, we're fine. The ministry's moving. Oh, pastor, we're, we're so joyful. But then they go and they have these sidebar conversations with others and they say, oh, my God. I'm tired of this. And so, though you have the shape, you don't have the right attitude. See, a servant has the right attitude. A servant is always ready to go, ready to do, willing to, 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 to do whatever is expected of them. Sometimes we get so structured that we become useless. And God forbid if pastor does something out of the way that things are normally done. Like right now, if I said, you know something, I feel from the Spirit, it's time for us to take Holy Communion. Now, if there's any one of the deacons here or any one of the leaders here that would say, but how can he do this to us? My God, he didn't plan ahead of us. Now we got to go down and say, that's a bad attitude. Okay, enough of the therapy. That's a bad attitude. Estoy bien. So it's not only having the, what it takes to do ministry, but it's having the right attitude. Amen. We've got to understand that when we serve here, it's not only for here. God is preparing us for eternity. Guess what? In heaven, we're going to serve. We're going to serve God, and we're going to serve one another. We won't serve through preaching and teaching because there's no need for that, but we will be serving. Jesus established the example when he came to earth. He said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. So in other words, Jesus established the perfect example for us to follow. And the example that he established in these verses is the example of a true servant. Someone that's not self, uh, selfish or, or interested in self or interested in what's in it for me, but someone that's more focused in what can I do to serve someone. And so, if we want to serve like Jesus, number one, you have to be available. I'm on the downstretch, but write these points down. If you want to serve like Jesus, be available. You know that the bulk of Jesus' ministry was not even planned? I'm talking about, I'm talking about planned from what we understand as planned. In other words, he didn't have uh, a calendar. What else they use today for? Smartphone? See, I got to write stuff on a smartphone because if I don't write it down and it doesn't ring the alarm, I forget. There you go. It's a smartphone, right? You got a calendar. Jesus didn't have this stuff. So he just got up every morning and he just went about doing the Father's will. And the bulk of his ministry was the result of interruptions. Let me repeat that. The bulk of what Jesus did was a result of inter interruptions. Maybe he had planned to do something that day and all of a sudden he was interrupted by a funeral procession. And so when he saw the funeral procession, since he hates death because he didn't create death, 
he would be, he would, he would stop what he was doing or stop moving towards where he was moving and he would begin to minister at the moment. Now, imagine if we were to do ministry the way Jesus did it. In other words, we're willing to say, though we do have a plan, but we're prepared for any change in plan and we're willing to do whatever God calls us to do at whatever place God calls us to do it, at whatever time God calls us to do it, we're willing to take the interruption and use it as an opportunity to do something that's going to be a blessing to someone. See, we live in a society where everything has to be planned. And with all the planning we have, we're still screwed up. With our agendas and our schedule, we still mess up. And we have all the gadgets, but we're so busy. Our lives are so full with so many things that we don't like to be interrupted. God interrupted the men here last weekend. I said it last week and I say it again. 22 guys were interrupted. It wasn't our plan to spend 24 hours here from Friday evening to Saturday evening. Trust you me, there were moments in those 24 hours and I confess to you I was pulling my hairs. Because I'm used to doing something and being on the go. To me, sitting still and resting and waiting on God is not one of my strong points. And I'm being real. I'm not here because I qualify. I'm here because I'm called. <laughs> and so to be here 24 hours, that was tough. Pastor Margie said, I got to do it with the woman. I said, baby, you better pray about it. Don't just do it because we did it. Pray about it, think about it, make sure it's God. Because it's not easy in our culture for us to sit still and to break away from what we're used to doing, especially on a Saturday and a Friday evening and all the way to Saturday evening. It is not easy for us to break away from the norm, for the things that are familiar to us, for the things that we're accustomed to. Amen. Every Saturday, I got to find a place where we go out to eat. And if we don't eat breakfast, we eat lunch, we go somewhere. Every Saturday, there's something that I'm doing in the house or something that I'm doing. And so my life is so consumed by the things that I'm used to doing that whenever God interrupts my plan and my life, it's uncomfortable. But guess what? That's what being part of the body of Christ is. You have to be ready for interruptions. Because sometimes in those moments of interruptions, when you did something that you really didn't feel like doing, in those moments, God could manifest his glory like you never expected for him to do so. And so we got to be ready. Are we good? Just want to make sure where I left off at here. So serving Jesus means being available. Now, there's some barriers to being available. One barrier is self-centeredness. The Bible says in Philippians 2, verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. The number one enemy of us being compassionate and being useful to bless others could be busyness or could be laziness. And so we have to allow the Spirit of God to check us if there's any self-centeredness in us, because that could become a barrier for us to be available like Jesus was available. Another barrier is 
It's like we have this sense of everything has to be perfect. In other words, I have to know the perfect will of God. God has to speak to me and make it clear to me before I just, no, God doesn't have to do anything. You have to be ready to move as God leads you, even if he doesn't tell you what you're doing or where you're going, but you're ready because you know that it's God moving you. And so you can't wait to be perfect. You can't wait to have everything down packed in order for you to be available. You have to be willing, even with your imperfections, be willing, make yourself willing and available to do the work of God, whatever God is calling to do. Amen. Guess what? As we begin to do what God is calling us to do, amen, God begins to mold us and he begins to perfect us because none of us are perfect. We are perfection in progress. The writer of Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes 4, he said, listen, if you're constantly watching the winds, guess what? You're never going to sow. Or if you're constantly worried about the clouds of rain, guess what? You're never going to reap. In other words, you can't be focused on what you have or you don't have. You have to be ready to sow so that you could reap. When you sow in due season, you're able to reap. So don't wait for perfection. Don't be self-centered. And if you're able to deal with those two issues, then you can make yourself available just like Jesus was available. Another barrier would be when we're too focused on materialism. That's a barrier that keeps us from serving. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. He didn't say you shouldn't serve. He says you cannot serve God and money. What does that mean to us? It means that we got to decide whether we want to be blessed or whether we want to be rich. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to be rich. If God gives you wealth, then praise the Lord. Take it and invest it in the kingdom. But some of us are working too hard to be wealthy or to have a better life, and we're not investing enough in the kingdom of God. And so you might become work, uh, 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 wealthy but not blessed. Amen? I've been tempted to call some folks in this house, into my office, and say, listen, should we pay your rent this, this month? Can we pay your rent? Or can we buy you some food? And I'm sure that many of them will look at me with a gaze and why would you? Pastor, we're doing all right. No, we don't. We're able to pay our rent. We're meeting our budget every day. Yeah, but your ties are not reflecting that. Woo, did I lose anyone here? Your giving to the kingdom of God is not reflecting that you're doing well. If I let myself go by your giving, then I would think that you are struggling. Because if Jody and Johnny are both working, I'm using you as an example, not that I looked at your records or whatever. I haven't looked at the records for a long time. Though it is my business to look at the records and to keep people accountable 
and to help people not to fall into the sin of robbery and theft. Because he who robs God commits the sin of a thief. And so God says, do not rob me of my tithes and of my offerings. Just read the book of Malachi. But if Johnny and Jody, who I know they're both working, and for some reason, all of a sudden I went into the computer and checked and saw that Johnny and Jody gave $100 every two weeks, that would cause me to want to call them and say, Johnny and Jody, are you guys struggling? Are you guys living on $2,000 a month? Because we know what we charge you for rent here, and we know you got to pay other stuff. I'm just using you as an example. In other words, your giving, your giving reflects where your heart is. If you're not giving to God what you know you're supposed to give to God. How many know that everything you have is from God? How many know that God could take it away right now in a, in, in, in a moment? Everything that you think you work hard for, right now in a split second, God could take it away. And if you don't believe it, read the book of Job. God could take it away right now. So your giving will let me know whether your heart is in building wealth or in building God's kingdom. This is a part of preaching that's very difficult, and I don't do it often, but I must incorporate it here. We are living in a time of great apostasy. And in a time of heresy, the things that we embrace as principles, as foundational to our belief and to our following of Jesus Christ, now we have relinquished those things and we've adopted the gospel that's being preached today. And that is the gospel of no commitment. In other words, the gospel of spiritual fornication. You should be able to relate to the body of Christ and not be married to it. You should be able to benefit from the body of Christ, but you should not have to contribute to it. What are they doing with all that money? You should use that money to go on vacation. You should use that money. To... No, if you want to be blessed, then you have to bless the kingdom of God. Now, if you want to re be rich, then keep storing for yourself, amen, in a storehouse that eventually is going to burn down. Guess what? When you make the transition from watching your big, from, from, from walking on your big toe to watching your big toe because you, you're dead, you breathe your last breath, everything that you worked so hard to build, you won't be able to take it with you. Now, should we prepare and should we build and should we save and should we have for our children, for our families? Yes, but not at the expenditure of robbing God. Hallelujah. I'm almost done, folks. This is almost done. But materialism has become the God of many people in the church. They serve their jobs and they serve their paycheck and they serve their leisure and they serve their games and they serve their fun and their, their vacation and they serve everything that's about them. And so if you're self-centered and everything that you do is about you and your money is all about you, then guess what? You're not serving God, even if you have a position in the church. Do you want to be, build wealth or do you want to build a kingdom? 
Because wealth will end. Kingdom is forever. As a matter of fact, when you build for the kingdom, once you make that transition, what you expect to hear from God is those words, welcome, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in little. Now I place you in much. Why entrust you with much. I'm going to leave the next part for next Sunday. This church has a crisis right now, and it's not part of our culture. We have ministries that are, have been a blessing to everyone that's a part of this church, even those that are attending and not members. We have ministries that are, that are done in this house that are a blessing to all of us, but yet we don't have enough people to be a part of those ministries. And one of those ministries is the first one that I mentioned, housekeeping. Where's Rebecca? She's teaching today? Okay. I remember when we first started at RWC, 23, going on 24 years ago. We started as 13. We grew in that little room to become probably a good 70, 80 people. But one of the things that, man blew me away was how we as a family took pride in doing the work of God and in particularly took pride in taking care of the house of God. That was a joy to us. And yet we were in a building where we had air conditioning in the winter and heating in the summer. And, and they were charging us a thousand bucks back in 1993. But yet every one of those 70 or 80 people they took pride in wanting to do the work of the ministry, including keeping up the house of God. Today we have a crisis. People want to come to a place that's clean, but they don't want to clean. People want to go to bathrooms that, that are clean. They dirty them, but they don't want to come and clean them because that's too below us. Because God has called me. That's, you know, I'm not, I'm not called to that, you know. I studied I'm a graduate from so-and-so, and so uh, how dare the pastor expect me to roll up my sleeves when you know, I get, the anointing that I got is not to clean toilets. Amen. So we got to get involved, folks. We got to stop living with the church, and we got to get married to it. Get involved. Hospitality. I think is a need also, right? Ministries that are a blessing in this house. I mean, hospitality, these are the guys, they're, they're the smiling emojis. Welcome. We need people that smile to be a part of that. We need people that have a heart for visitors. We need people that are watchful. When they see someone walking that you've never seen, they go out of their way and they say, you know something, welcome, man. I just saw you walk in. I've never seen you before. Maybe you've been, but man, it's so good to have you. We need people to be involved in these ministries so that the work of the kingdom could move forward. If we're able to do that in these levels, we consider them levels, but they're not really levels to God. 
They're part of the whole work of the kingdom. We're able to prove ourselves faithful in these areas. God can then empower us to do the greater things in the kingdom. Amen. God bless you. Next week, I'm going to finish. Pastor Margie's supposed to preach, but I'm taking over next week. So uh, just let her know. Keep her in your prayers, please. She's not, she's battling bronchitis. I mean, there's so many people. Uh, Madison, Lucas, my grandkids. Like I said, my mother, Elder Joey, Elder Abby, Wendy. Bunch of people, bunch of people. Keep them in your prayers. We need those people. They're an integral part of this church. So please pray for them. But I thank you for listening. I thank you for those of you that take notes for taking notes. You never know when one of those things that you wrote down will be beneficial to you in a moment of need. And so uh, I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we are honored that you would have saved us and you would have grafted us to the vine. You, have, you would have made us members of your body, that living organism called the church. We are blessed to be a part of the church. We're thankful because there's no other religion on the planet, God, that is as effective and that is as pleasing to you and that has the impact on the earth and on the, peop- the inhabitants of the earth that the church has. We are your people. You've called us with a high calling, oh God. And the high calling is the calling of, of being your servants, of being your children, and of taking pride in, in doing and expending our lives for your kingdom, Father. And so I just pray, Lord, that uh, you would awaken in, in, in each one of us, oh God, that passion, that desire to want to be involved, to want to be engaged, to want to be committed, to want to serve. Lord, and as we serve, that we would see the fruit and the results of our serving, Lord, which is the winning of souls for your kingdom, Lord. As they see us, oh God, serving, serving you, serving each other, and serving them, Lord, may they be drawn unto you, Father. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would rekindle the fire in every heart in this congregation. Lord, that everybody would get engaged and involved in some form of ministry, Father, that we would never have to experience the crisis of, of being shorthanded in any area of ministry, but that we would all together be able to push this work of the kingdom forward for the purpose of impacting this community, this nation, and the nations abroad, Father. And so I just thank you for the privilege that you give me to be your servant. It is my honor to serve you. It is my honor to serve your people. Father, and I am unworthy, unmerited, but I thank you for the favor that you have bestowed upon me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. God bless you.